0: If you have your Bible with you or you would like to use one in the back of the pew, please turn with me to the gospel according to Mark. Chapter eight. This morning, we will be looking at only one verse in contrast to last week where we looked at verses one to 30. Today, we will only be looking at verse 31. If you're a guest with us, we are working our way through the gospel according to Mark. Thinking about Jesus as our king. It's not much better of a topic to explore during this season. So we're going to keep going during Advent and think about these important verses. This might be the most important section of the book of Mark outside of the end of it. When we get to the cross and the resurrection. This morning as we begin to celebrate the season and we look at Mark chapter 8 verse Thirty-one, And Jesus begins to explain why he is here. I want to present to you this morning this idea. No cross, no Christmas. With all that in mind, let's read Mark chapter 8 verse 31. This is the word of the Lord. And he, that is Jesus, began to teach them. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. One of my mentors told me that when you preach you're supposed to be dangerous. So I'm going to take him up on his word this morning and try to get a little dangerous right now. You remember in Mark chapter 7, when Jesus is fighting, wrestling with the Pharisees, brings up the question of authority. Where do the rules come from? Because the Pharisees had made up all of these rules on their own, and they had started to follow their own rules and ignore the word of God. And in their mind, if you were going to be holy and right with God, you had to do everything they said you should do and not do anything they said you shouldn't do. didn't matter what God's word had to say. And we asked the question, where do our rules come from? That morning, I said, one of the most dangerous places we find this question is during the holidays. You have heard it said, Don't take Christ out of Christmas. Right? Where do you get that rule? We dangerous now? Who says that if you send a Christmas card that says Merry Christmas, you are more right in the eyes of God than someone who sends a card that says Happy Holidays? Do you even know the history of where we get the abbreviation Xmas? Let me tell you and remind you of the gospel. You are not saved based on what you do for God. You are not given access to heaven based on what you do for Jesus. You are saved by Jesus because of his work and his grace. Right? Which means you get no extra love from God if you don't say Xmas, Friends. Who cares what you call the holiday? Nobody even celebrated it for 400 years after Jesus came. It wasn't even a thing. Let me tell you what the gospel says. Don't take the cross out of Christmas. Friends, I believe Jesus would break your rule. He broke all the Pharisees' rules just to mess them up. He would come in this room right now and say, Hey, Mary Xmas. I believe it. Not only because he liked to mess with the Pharisees, and he'd probably like to mess with us, but because that's what he does in Mark chapter 8. We get to the turning point, remember? And Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, The Christ. And he is right. And what does Jesus do? He takes Christ. Out of their vocabulary. And says now this is who I really am. Brothers and sisters. Don't take the cross. Out of Christmas. P.T. Forsyth said you do not understand Christ. Until you understand the cross. In Mark chapter 8. Chapter 9. Chapter 10. Jesus makes three predictions. To explain the cross. This is the first one. That's why Mark says he began to teach. It's time to go to school. So this morning, as we look at the first prediction of the cross, I want to show you three key details that you need to see to understand what Christmas is really all about. The first detail is the identity of Jesus. Notice in verse 31, Jesus does not say the Christ. He says, the son of man must suffer many things. First rule of nicknames. You know it. Do you know the rule of nicknames? Don't give yourself one. You give yourself a nickname, it is automatically uncool. And no one's going to call you that. Somebody has to give you your nickname, right? Well, Jesus doesn't play by our rules. No one ever, no one in any gospel ever calls Jesus the Son of Man. That's not his nickname. But it's Jesus' favorite way of describing himself. Jesus called himself the Son of Man over and over and over again. Remember, he just said, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. Jesus says, yeah, but I'd rather go by the Son of Man. This is what I want you to call me. This is my preferred name. And where is this coming from? Well, if you study the Old Testament, you're probably going to guess Daniel chapter 7. In the book of Daniel, Israel is in exile in Babylon under an evil king, living as slaves, away from the promised land, away from home. And in chapter 7, Daniel has a dream. Verse 13 and 14. Daniel says, So the Son of Man is this Old Testament figure who represents humanity before God, and he rules with power and majesty and dominion. He is a symbol of victory. That's exactly what people want in Jesus' day. They're not in exile anymore, they're not in Babylon, but they're under the oppression of Rome. They're basically slaves in their own hometown. They are oppressed. So why after feeding the 5,000, which we just read about a few weeks ago in the book of John, the people see it and they want to make Jesus the king. They want a Daniel 7 son of man to take over and make things right. Jesus takes on this title, but not to fulfill their dreams of a political kingdom. Jesus becomes a son of man, but not because he is this fulfillment to some nationalistic political party. That's not what he's here for. He's to be a different kind of king. When Jesus calls himself the son of man, he has a different prophet in mind. He's not thinking Daniel chapter 7. When Jesus uses the term son of man, he's thinking Isaiah 53. Friend, if you want to know why we celebrate Christmas, you should go with your family this season and read Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, we don't see this king of power. We see a suffering servant. In verses 2 to 3, Isaiah writes, He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So notice people want a king of dominion and Jesus gives them a man who's despised. The people want power. Jesus gives them sorrow. The people are hungry for victory, and Jesus gives them defeat. And so we have one title, the Son of Man, but two totally different ideas. One hears the word Son of Man and they think victory and power. Jesus speaks Son of Man and he's thinking death. One name. Two totally different ideas. Friends, is it any different today when you talk about Jesus or the Christ? Just think about how people talk about Jesus at all if they mention him when they talk about Christmas. It's about his example of humble love and joy and healing and peace. If we talk about God at all in our conversations in the the world, it's about God's power, God's blessing over our nation. But you never hear people talk about Jesus of the cross and the suffering of the Christ and the cost of the discipleship in following the Lord. Friend, it's not enough. To tell people that you believe in Jesus. It's not enough to say you believe in Christ. Because in our world. We have so many different ideas and definitions of who that even is. You've got to be bold enough. To explain who Jesus really is according to the word of God. Because like Peter who got the answer right. Our ideas and the the ideas that are out there in the world, in the marketplace, in your neighborhood about Jesus are too narrow. We don't celebrate Christmas just because God became a baby. We celebrate Christmas because of what that baby grew up to be and to do. We have to let the word define who Jesus is. You see the identity. Brothers and sisters, I need you to see the certainty of Jesus. In verse 31, Jesus says, the son of man must. You see that? The son of man must suffer many things. Our world is filled with uncertainty. Stock markets, a roller coaster. Everyone's speculating what's gonna what's it gonna look like the next three months? Rumors about what's coming down the pipeline. Started in South Africa, it's moving to Europe. When's it coming our way? It's just been filled with uncertainty over and over and over again. Friends, the Bible tells us we don't know what tomorrow brings. But when Jesus speaks, he knows. He knows what's coming for him. Tim Keller writes, this word must controls the whole sentence, the whole passage. Everything in this list is a necessity. Notice Jesus did not say the Son of Man might suffer many things and be rejected. He didn't say that maybe if things go the wrong way, I will be killed And rise again. He didn't say that I'll most likely go to the cross. He said I must go to Calvary. Friends, the cross was not a good option from God. It was not a backup plan. It was not a possibility. It was not an accidental event. The mission of the Son of Man, the cross of Christ, is unchangeable, inevitable, absolute certainty. There's three reasons the cross must happen. Why did Jesus die? Why did he have to die? Not that he could, but that he would, that he must. Three reasons. The Father planned it, the Old Testament predicted it, and the Son promised it. The Father planned it from the beginning, brothers and sisters. Before he ever created the world, he planned the cross. Before man ever sinned, Jesus planned to die for them. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, when Peter finally saw clearly, he said, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. this was predicted by the Old Testament. Mark chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus said, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. It's written in the Psalms. Psalm 22, we see a king forsaken by God, scorned and mocked by the people, taunted with cries to save himself, physically tortured, pierced, parched with thirst, clothes and garments divided by lots, all in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, verse 10, the prophet says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him." But friends, Jesus did not say he must die because he knew he was going to be some victim of some tragedy. Or because he was just obligated. Friends, Jesus promised it. It was something he looked forward to. John 10 verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. How many nights do you struggle to go to bed because everything seems so unsettled? How many mornings do you wake up anxious already before you even hit the carpet? Because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Friend, look at the cross and believe in the sovereign, absolute, certain faithfulness of God. When something must happen, God will make it happen and God will take care of everything. He is always in control and he's holding nothing back from you and me when we belong to Jesus. We have everything we need. There's an old hymn writer said, whatever my God ordains is right. Can you say that? Even in the midst of uncertainty, whatever my God ordains, whatever he happens, whatever he says must happen, it's right. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. Moses writes, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Listen, when you struggle to believe that, the best medicine for you is not to look to the manger. It's to look to the cross. There is certainty in our faith, in our Savior. If God is still sovereign and faithful at that moment on the cross then you can put your trust in him to be faithful no matter what you're going through this season. There is certainty in Jesus, friend. But last detail I want to show you in verse 31 is the destiny of Jesus. You've heard of the 12 days of Christmas. I'm confident of that. How many of those gifts you could name? I'm less confident. 12 days of Christmas don't matter, friends. I want to show you the four musts of Christmas. These are four things, four events, four certainties that must take place. Otherwise, there is no point in us celebrating anything else this Christmas. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The four musts of Christmas. Jesus says in verse 31. The Son of Man must suffer. He must suffer many things. Now we're so familiar with the cross, this is overlooked, but this must alone was mind-blowing for first century hearers and readers. James Edwards writes, Never in Israel was it ever heard that the Messiah should suffer. There was no category for a Savior who would hurt. There was no category for a divine person to be injured, to be mocked, to be scorned. Friends, this started well before the cross. Think about this. To get back into that familiar scene at the nativity, in the manger, first night Jesus is born. Do you understand? For the first time ever, God knew what it felt like to be cold. God knew what it felt like to be hungry. To be tired even. And as we read Luke 2 and read the story of Christmas, eight days after he is born, Jesus feels the physical pain of circumcision. Before he's two years old, Jesus is run off by an evil king and his family suffers on the run as refugees. No home. Don't know where their next meal is coming from. Don't know if the family's going to survive the trip. Jesus grew up. He was tempted in the desert by the devil. He was betrayed in the garden by his disciples. And on and on and on, even before we get to the cross, Jesus, the Son of Man, must suffer. Isaiah 53, verse 4 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. And afflicted. Jesus not only must suffer. He said the son of man must. Second. Be rejected. You see that. Jesus's mission demanded. That people would not accept him. We could not celebrate Christmas. We could not celebrate Easter. We could not celebrate Jesus. If he came and right away. Everybody said yes you are God. He said the Son of Man must be rejected. The word rejected there points to this idea of money. When people, you go and pay at the gas station and you drop a $100 bill down on the table. If they even accept that, what are they going to do? They're going to get that marker and they are going to examine that $100 bill and make sure that it is legit. And let's just say you're one of those people carrying around fun, phony $100 bills. What are they going to say to you? I'm sorry. This is rejected. Your order, your, your purchase is declined. I have examined your funds and they are illegitimate. This is the picture that Jesus is saying. Jesus is going to be, he must be treated like a counterfeit. No good, worth nothing, dismissed, discarded. Literally, the word means after scrutiny, Jesus will fail the test. It's what the writer of Psalm 118 was talking about in verse 22 when we read the stone that the builders rejected. Has become the cornerstone. And when we read that story of Christmas in Luke chapter 2. We get to Simeon verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother. Behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. son of man must be rejected the third must of christmas the son of man must be killed how many today celebrate christmas but reject a cross for their sins the son of man must be killed dying is not enough jesus could not just suffocate jesus could not just die of hunger jesus must be murdered he must be eliminated By another, Isaiah 53, verse 8 and 9, the prophet said he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Later, he says, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Friend, if God was ever going to forgive you, a sacrifice was needed. An infinite, divine sacrifice that you could not provide. A payment was essential. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But the good news of the gospel is that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Friend, this Christmas, remember, Jesus must be killed because Jesus was born to die. And he had to die in order to fulfill the fourth must of Christmas. Jesus says in verse 31, the son of man must rise. The resurrection was God's way of of vindicating Jesus in his statement of identity, saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He is who he says he is. Isaiah 52, verse 13, before we get to the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, Isaiah writes, Behold, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. And it's precisely because of the cross that Paul can say in Philippians chapter 2 that God has exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Friend, let me ask you a question. What would happen in your life the rest of the day if Jesus did not rise again? How would your work week change tomorrow if Jesus is not alive? Would your life look any different at all if the resurrection were not true? Friends, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if, if the resurrection is not true, then what I am saying right now is meaningless. Lying. I'm lying about God. I'm lying about the gospel. None of this is true. You being here is stupid, silly, ridiculous. Get out of here. Go watch some football. Have fun. Just Paul says our faith is pointless. Our sins are not forgiven. The dead are just dead. They're not alive. They're not in heaven. They're not anywhere. They're just in the ground. And all of this work, you trying to look holy being here, you trying to impress somebody by doing the right thing, you doing anything good in your life, that is a miserable way to live. If Jesus is not alive, you're not living. Get out there and have some fun. The gospel of the resurrected Christ is supposed to change your life. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. If you don't really have the Easter experience in your life where Jesus is raised from the dead and has raised you with him, and you understand that Jesus is alive today and coming back, you got no reason to celebrate Christmas. You got no reason to be here. Friends, the good news that I can give you with certainty is that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came to fulfill his destiny. And every single one of the musts, Jesus has accomplished. He suffered for you. He was rejected and killed for you. And Jesus rose from the grave on the third day for you. But there is one more must to the gospel. It is not enough to know that. It's not enough to agree with that. It's not enough to amen that. It's not enough to believe that. You have to embrace it with your life so that it becomes the foundation of everything that you are. Your only hope in life and death. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, this is the must that comes to you, that comes to your door. Jesus has done everything he must do. The question is, will you do the one thing you must do and turn from your own life. In sin, and put your trust in what Jesus Christ did for you. He suffered, he was rejected, he died on the cross, and he rose again. And you must be saved in him. You will find salvation in no other religion, in no other holiday, in no other name. You will only be saved by the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, a lot of us would claim to be there. But allow me to press the must a little bit further. James Montgomery Boyce, the late pastor from Philadelphia, said it this way. This Jesus, the son of man, won't allow you to fool around with Christianity. He forces you to settle the question. Is Jesus who he says he is and has he done what he said he would do? Are these things true? Friend, listen, if you can assess that question and settle in your heart that Jesus is not who he says he is and he did not do what he said he did. Can I just help you out? Forget about all of this. You don't have to come back. Just Get on with your life. Forget about religion. You don't got much time left. Just be you. You're not helping yourself. You're not helping anyone by being here pretending to believe that Jesus is alive. Without a cross and a resurrection, you have no forgiveness. You have no access. You have no hope. You have no reason. But friend, if you would say... Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus has done what he has said he has done. Allow me to quote James Montgomery Boyce a little further. I want you to hear it from him and not me. Maybe that'll help. You listening? If you believe that, stop fooling around. Stop playing a game. Stop living as if it is half true. Stop living as if it is true only on Sunday. Make your commitment and get on with the serious business of living for God. If you believe Jesus is alive, live alive for Jesus. Show up. Use some gospel intentionality in your life. Engage people and witness for the glory of God. Serve your brothers and sisters for the glory of God. Quit being apathetic, complacent, and waiting for Jesus just to come back. Celebrate Christmas by the way you live your life every single day. Celebrate the good news of the gospel by proclaiming it to the people around you. Live like the resurrection is true. Friends, listen. Jesus suffered so that he could walk with you in the midst of your suffering. Whatever you're going through, listen, Jesus understands. He was tempted in every way. He learned obedience through suffering so that he could come to you as a faithful high priest. Jesus was rejected so that you could be accepted into his family. You don't have to impress anyone. You don't have to live for anyone's approval. You don't have to live for your parents' approval. You don't have to live for your neighbor's approval. You have God's approval if you belong to Jesus. And no matter how well you do that day or how much you mess up, at the end of the day, if you belong to Christ, God looks at you and say, well done. You are my child with whom I am well pleased. Friend, Jesus was killed and rose from the grave so that he could kill the power of the curse of sin and death over your life. You don't have to live in defeat. We have victory in our resurrected Savior. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Let us then, brothers and sisters, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, I know that every single one of us could use a little mercy. And we could use a little bit of help. And we could use a little bit of confidence. It's right there for us. All we got to do is not take the cross out of Christmas. Let's pray.